Hey, good morning, Munchtropolis. It's now 5 after the hour of 6 a.m. in the big monster city. Come on! Let's get pumped! I'm not drinking any fucking Merlot! <laughs> what can I say? The camera loves me! After you, Junior. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Logged It. I am your host, Caleb Lilba Boltman, and uh, as always, I have a great rotating panel to talk about this today's topic actors turn directors. So, this should be a lot of fun. Uh, we are going to be representing these picks by one movie. Ah, but before we get into that, let's introduce our panel. Today we have Mr. Payson Johnson. Long good time, Mont Letterbox. I won't do that. Uh, I'm excited. (laughs) (laughs) He's gone. What's up, Bowman? Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, Yeah, excited about the topic. Um, I don't think I've ever met Cameron before, so this is nice to meet somebody new and be able to call somebody. Um, as always, fun to be here with you and Payson. So, uh, yeah, should be a good night. Okay, and yeah, uh, as mentioned, uh, fair friend of is for all of you asking, who's Cameron? Is he just a random person? Is he a failed clone of Red Shadowsman? I know this is a, this is a friend of uh, Matthew and Albert and a lot of the other friends there. And yeah, uh, so Cameron, you're making your multiplex debut. How are you? I feel great. I feel great to be here with you guys. I slowly have been uh, meeting more of the multiplex community. So uh, excited to get a little more involved. Uh, Yeah. Great to be here. That is fair. Well, we're going to start things off with your favorite movie that you logged this week. And Cameron, if you're ready, I'll let you start us off. Since you are, this is your first time, I'll let you just yeah. How's that sound? Yeah, sounds good. Uh, I think I can't pick anything other than uh, Persona by Ingmar Bergman. This is my first time watching Persona. Um, I have a friend that keeps, you know, we uh, have movie swaps back and forth, and he keeps giving me more Bergman, uh, which I'm uh, really excited to, that's, you know, really excited to get into and have been really enjoying. But um, it's a very trippy movie. For a lot of people, uh, it's considered a classic. Um, and, yeah, I, I was kind of blown away by a lot of what they were doing in this movie. Um, it's definitely not a movie you'd necessarily be ready to watch all the time, at least me. I know with Bergman, you have to be in a right sort of state of mind. But, yeah, this is a really cool mental, psychological movie where... <laughs> It's a kind of movie where you could come up with a bunch of different interpretations for it. I think it's really cool. That is fair. I, I just want to point out, I really liked Kirk's reaction when you just busted out Persona. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, yeah, this is like, you know, one of Albert's friends, so it'll probably be something recent or anything. Like, <laughs> Bergman, baby. And like, Albert did not give Persona to me. He did not <laughs> give me Persona. I'll, I'll tell you that much. I assume. But anyway, I just like her reaction. I haven't seen this. Uh, I watched my first Bergman this year. I watched The Seven Seal, but I have not seen this. Um, Payson, have you seen this? I own this. I have yet to see it. Uh, Mike Hanley uh, has recommended this movie. He loves this movie, and I want to check it out because of him. I 
did not know Mike Hamlin. He 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 told me he watched it when like the big sight and sound list came out, and that was one of the highest ones he had never seen. And he watched that when he was like, "Yo, this one rocks." I'm like, "Fair." Wow, fair. Uh, Kirk, have you seen this? Yeah, I've seen it. I haven't seen a ton of Bergman. This is one I have. Um, I want to get more into him. Um, but yeah, it's a solid movie. Um, like Kevin said, it's real psychological kind of like. And it, in fact, I need to go back to it. I've been meaning to go back to it because it's one of those ones you really have to rewatch, I think, to get the full meaning and understand everything that's going on because there's so much happening. Um, but no, it's a solid. I mean, it's, if, if it's. I guess, I mean, if, you, if you're going to get to Bergman, you guys will jump in head first and watch this one, you know, if, if you're going to watch anything because nothing his is necessarily easy. Um, but, yeah, this one's is, is, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough watch, but it's a, it's a good watch. That is fair. Well, uh, that'll bring us over to, well, we'll go in this order. Kirk, what's your favorite movie you like this week? All right. Where's, uh, where's Scott Harvey at? Why is he not here? I, I hope he's. I hope he's watching or will watch. Because me and Scott give each other a lot of grief about movies, and there's one director in particular I give Scott a lot of grief about. Um, but I watched one of his movies this week, and I really enjoyed it. And that was um, Richard Linklater's Apollo Ten and a Half. Um, this uh, it's a rotoscope movie like he's done before, um, but I think this is a better. Um, yeah, I think the the uh, animation is improved. And it's it's a little softer than like something like uh, Scanner Darkly, which fits the, the the tone of the movie better. And besides just the general animation, they do something really cool in this movie because it's a it's a, a kind of like a, a a year of the life of this kid, or you know months or however long of this kid living in Houston in 1969, and he's watching the news and a lot of iconic images that we know from the news, or you know he's watching old movies, classic movies, TV shows, and everything. Basically, anything he looks at on a screen or in, a, in an image is done in this real, like, faint, impressionistic uh, art style. And it, it's a really just cool way to represent me memory in animation. And it's a really cool way, stylized way to do those things. Those images that we're also familiar with, present them in a new way. Uh, but I just love the movie because it's another one of these movies that have been coming out a lot with, uh, you know, directors kind of doing semi-autobiographical st stories about their children or their childhood. And this is very unique because, A, it's animated. B, it's the story of, you know, the, you know, building up to the, to the moon launch. And it's a lot like, it reminded me a lot of a Christmas story because it's the, it's an adult telling their, their, their childhood story about one specific leading up to one specific event. But along the way you get like just a lot of little segments of slice of life, you know, what we did on vacation, what we did over the summer, what we did for school, things like that. And it's just a really great uh, example of, honing in on just general universal childhood nostalgia. Uh, anybody who watches, no matter when you grew up, you know, you're going to, you're going to find something to connect to in the story. Uh, but also very specifically about his life in this time, what was going on. Um, so I think it's great. Jack Black plays the, you know, he's the voiceover adult version. And I think his voice is just uh, perfect for this story. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a link later, you know, kind of plotless, uh, uh, story. It's it's mostly just about his life. He weaves in some imaginative stuff about it. You know, imagine himself being part of the moon landing and all that, um, which is a smaller part of the movie than it's made out to be in the in the trailers. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just this kid's life in 1969, and um, it's a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. I am glad that the moon landing stuff is the smallest part of the movie because I think it's, I most people agree I, that I talked to. It's probably the worst stuff about the movie. Like, the stuff that is just, hey, 
this is me growing up in 1969 is all great. Like it's all really good. Like there's, I, I really like this one. There's a lot of just like, this is, this is, just, I, I think Linklater likes to play with time, but he doesn't do it in a way that seems very like flashy. But I think the way this movie, you're right. It feels very much like a memory. And I think that's really unique in the animation enhances that yeah and the different pop cultural things and just kind of the specific unique things and i, I kind of like how it's not a oh the past was way better movie or the past was way worse movie it's just kind of feels very honest in the way it talks about the past and i appreciate that uh cameron have you seen this i have not i really want to watch it it's been on my list for a long time but i've heard only great things about it so want to watch it That's soon great. uh payson uh, I have seen this. I really, really liked it. Um, yeah, like you said, I think the space stuff is probably my least favorite uh, part of the movie, but I just love how, like, this to me is, like, Americana done right, where it really gets into, like, what the 60s were and makes you, like, understand, like, what living in this time would have felt like in different pop culture things. I, I love just seeing, like, the kids, like, play their, like games that like in no way would we be playing today like the red rover game where you gotta try and like bust through the elbows you just see how like that can like tear off someone's arm if you play that uh incorrectly no i i uh really love this movie uh i think richard linklater understands like the concept of time better than like most directors working today and i think he really really uh keys that in too with this movie yeah, very good. Well, I'll go to my me next, my pick for favorite movie log this week. Uh, I didn't have anything that like majorly stuck out, but I had a lot of really good watches. Uh, but I'm going, I'm going with one that I feel like just not a whole lot of people have even heard of, let alone seen. I'm going with the 1975 film, The Day of the Locust, and I know at least two of the three people on this call here really liked Babylon. I don't know how Cameron felt about it. I love that one. Okay. I would actually say it's not as like, I would say as like big and spectacular as Babylon, but it has that same kind of darkness behind the Hollywood and a lot of like nightmarish imagery at times. And it's really good. And it's got a crazy cast, Donald Sutherland, William Atherton, uh, Karen Black, Burgess Meredith. Uh, good cast, uh, and it's basically just about this set designer in 30s Hollywood uh, who starts a relationship with this aspiring actress and how there's kind of a love triangle between uh, the set designer and this uh, mild-mannered accountant played by Donald Sutherland. And uh, it's really good. Uh, set design looks beautiful. And it gets dark at points in like a really unique and sometimes actually scary way i highly recommend it uh yeah uh has anybody here heard of this i i have i've heard of it i haven't seen it but i added it to my watch list based on your review this week yeah same that, that's going on my watch list going uh, up in the queue very quickly here that sounds awesome that is fair well we'll move on to pacing then yeah um my favorite um, movie I watched this week, uh, I've already talked about it with one of the panelists tonight, yesterday. Uh, I'm talking about Creed 3. 
Um, yeah, um, if, if, if you want my full thought, thoughts, you can go uh, to the video store, watch me in Kirk's Review, Cinemaster's Review, every uh, Monday, ADST. Um, but yeah, I, I really thought this was a great conclusion to the, to the character of Adonis Creed. Uh, going in, I thought I was a little nervous to see how Michael B. Jordan, his, how him directing this movie would, how he would handle that. And I loved the way he films this movie, specifically those fight scenes. Like everyone is talking about how, like, you can tell he was very influenced by anime and anyone that knows me knows how much I love that. Uh, Jonathan Majors is the standout. Like, he is so good as the character of Damian Anderson, and you really feel for why he has this uh, vendetta against the situation that he's been in. Uh, there are some scripts, things that I wasn't the biggest fan of, specifically towards the end, but I, I really, really love this movie. That's fair. Uh, I have not seen this yet. Probably going to see that this weekend. Cameron, have you seen this? I have, uh, and I echo a lot of what Payson is saying here. I think it's a great entry in this overall franchise. It's a great Creed movie. I think I actually like this more than the second one. And Michael B. Jordan, yeah, he does do a great job for his directorial debut. Adds a lot of his own flair, artistic flourishes to it, um, but still feels very much like a Creed movie, even more so without Rocky there, which I know is a big uh, point of contention maybe, but I think it's com it's completely Adonis Creed's story here, and yeah, it's really engaging. Um, great fights, and yeah, Jonathan Majors is incredible too. He's had a great year, <laughs> being Kang and uh, being opposite Michael B. Jordan in Creed Three. Uh, so I, I love to see him in any movie. But yeah, I really enjoyed it. Sure, uh, Kirk. Uh, yeah, like Pete said, we talked about this yesterday. Uh, I really, I I liked it. Um, I liked it. I didn't like it as much as the first one, but I love the first one. Definitely liked it more than the second one. Uh, Jonathan Majors is great. I think he's the probably the best Rocky villain we've had so far. Um, I just really like what they do with his character. I think it's a solid debut for um, Michael B. Jordan. I, you, you could tell he was paying attention all those years he's working with, with Ryan Coogler because um, you know he really knows you know what to do and how to frame a scene and things like that. So he's got a good eye, and I'm um, you know excited to see where he goes from here. I think he, you know if he, he keeps doing like this, he has a you know another career ahead of him here. So um, yeah, definitely solid watch. And you know, Pace, I talked about this yesterday. Uh, it kind of bums me out because the way this movie set up it would be really hard to, uh, you know, tell a story uh, for him, you know, Adonis boxing moving forward um, just because he's already kind of set up as the old man in this movie. Uh, so, so if this is the end of the trilogy, it's a solid trilogy, but it's kind of sad because I like the character. I like these movies. Mm -hmm. Sure. Uh, well, now we move on to your least favorite movie log this week. Cameron, we'll go back over to you. Okay. Um, probably I, I've had a pretty good week, honestly. Um. Ooh, I would have to say I, I don't even dislike it that much but going on to Creed more Creed 2 because I uh, prepped watching all of the other Creed movies for the first time in order to see Creed 3 I guess Creed 2 is my least favorite movie of the week even though it's still not too bad um, and um, yeah I think um, just the the there's less personal stake to it, it feels like, for me. Uh, it, it's very much latched on to uh, the previous Rocky movies. The story is and the the main conflict. Um, still a solid movie. Uh, good uh, fight sequences, for sure. Very intense. 
but uh, it hasn't had as much of an impact on me as the first Creed or the third. The, the direction is fine too, uh, but nothing sticks out for me specifically about it. Uh, just an all right movie. Uh, I still enjoyed it. But. That's fair. Uh, I've actually never seen Creed 2, and I'm going to remedy that this weekend. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, like Kirk and Cameron, uh, Creed 2 is my least favorite of this new trilogy, but I still really do enjoy it. Um, I think it just doesn't quite hit the highs of the other two for me. But, like, I do think specifically what they do with the Drago family and making them, uh, honestly, making them, in my opinion, better villains than Ivan Drago was in Rocky IV, um, I really, really did enjoy. And I honestly stand by it. Maybe the best training montage in the entire series is in this movie, in the construction yard. I love that. That is cool. <laughs> uh, Kirk? Uh, yeah, I think it's the low point of the, of the trilogy. I don't think it's necessarily bad. Uh, I just think you definitely feel Cougar's absence in it. Um, and the Drago, the stuff of the Dragos is definitely the most interesting part of it, uh, which is what I wanted when I saw that they debuted this movie, or they, you know, were hyping this movie up. Um, and I saw that, you know, they were bringing back Ivan Drago. I said, they, you know, the, the key of the movie is going to be him and what to do with him. And I think they really, you know, where he was just kind of like a monster, like a, like a, almost like a comic booky villain in Rocky IV. Uh, they really humanized him in this. Uh, the problem is, like, they're what I want to see. Like whenever they're not on screen, I'm like, Oh, I wonder what the Dragos are doing right now. Um, and it's kind of like detriment to the rest of the story. So, um, but the, the final fight's good. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's still like, it has very, you know, there's Rocky, you know, points, you know, high points to it. But, uh, yeah. And I think just the, 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 the story of the rise is always more interesting than the story of trying to maintain that spot. Um, so, but yeah, again, like like Cameron said, that's not a terrible movie by any stretch. It's just not. It's just the weakest of the three. Okay. Uh, well, now uh, Kirk, we'll move over to you. What was your least favorite movie of the week? Oh my goodness. Um, I had to study Sandra Bullock rom coms for trivia, so I have an embarrassment <laughs> of riches of what to choose from uh, today. Um, yeah, I'm gonna go with the one I probably rated the highest out of everything I watched. But also the one that needs talked about because it's like people talk about like it's good. Uh, the proposal is a really bad movie, um, and it's not like I don't like Sandra Bullock, um, and I've never really liked her. And like I'll go back and, like when I don't watch her for a while, I'm like oh maybe that's too hard. And I walk, go back and watch. I'm like no, this is good. Um, but it's beyond her. A lot of these movies are just really poorly made. Like they're t bad on a technical level, and this movie it feels like. It, it feels like Ghostbusters 2016 in the most insulting ways possible. Like, every scene feels like an outtake. Um, there are scenes where the camera is on actors, and, I, like, 40% of the time, I don't think the, can the actors knew the camera was rolling. There are scenes with, with uh, uh, poor Betty White just kind of standing there, and she's no one told her what's going on, and it's obvious. Um, it's yeah, it just, it's bad. Like, for some reason, directors and, you know, movie producers think Sandra Bullock is Buster Keaton and they give her all this like physical comedy to do and just doesn't really pull it off. And she's trying, God bless her. She's trying, uh, but it just doesn't really work. And there may be a great version of this movie somewhere, but I feel like we got the version that was just made up of everything they picked off of the cutting room floor and pieced together. Um, I, I don't think she's that good in it. Ryan Reynolds. Not good. No, nobody's really good in this movie. Cause like I said, it doesn't feel like they're giving like their, a effort. This is like rehearsal. 
and they filmed it. Fair enough. Uh, I have not seen the proposal. Uh, I kind of wanted to, and now I'm not sure. So sure. <laughs> uh, Payson, have you seen this? Uh, due to certain trivia affiliations, I am legally not allowed to say anything bad about Sandra Bullock. But uh, if I could highlight uh, Kirk's first review of this movie, uh, one of my favorite letterbox reviews, January 2nd, 2022, give us back Betty White and we'll gladly give up Sandra Bullock. Betty White is a national treasure. I mean, she is. She is. She, yeah. Uh, <laughs> now, I don't think I've seen this movie since I was pretty young, like uh, maybe 10 years ago even. Uh, so I only remember little like visual moments of the movie at most. And I think I've seen clips here and there uh, more recently, but nothing too memorable that, I, that comes to mind for me. Um, I think even when I was younger, I'm like, okay, yeah, this sure seems like a movie. <laughs> but um, yeah, nothing really uh, substantial to talk about for me. Fair enough. Well, uh, that ends the proposal talk. Now we'll go over to me. So I'm a masochist, as you all know. I best picture, and I I told people, hey, don't watch through the best picture winners. It's not worth it. Then I did best actor, and I was like, ah, oh, this wasn't worth it. Then I just finished original screenplay winner, so that was not worth it. Let's see if Best Supporting Actress is worth it, guys. <laughs> <laughs> the Danish Girl, everybody. <laughs> uh, it bad. It bad. Um, Alicia Vikander is good. I will say this. She's good. I think she's the worst of her class that year and was also nominated for the wrong movie. Uh, but she's good. She's not the problem. Problem, they, Eddie Redmayne is bad. <laughs> and Tom Hooper is a hack. He is <laughs> hack. He can't direct movies. He's no. a bad director. I'm sorry. Hey, I he like Lavis. He just finds a fancy set designer and puts the camera on it but not before turning down the contrast way low so you can hardly see anything that's even going on and everything looks like gray mush and it's like here there's your movie i'm tom director baby's first camera work apparently i do not care i do not care for tom hooper um this movie is really bad eddie redmayne is surprisingly awful like, I think Eddie Redmayne is actively terrible in this role. Like, is, Eddie Redmayne's just doing the same kind of whisper acting of, like, oh. And it just, it's really bad. It's really bad. I did not care for this movie. Um, yeah. Uh, Cameron, have you seen the Danish well, uh, Thankfully, apparently, uh, I have, well, I have not seen it. So, apparently, I'm in luck. I, I do like... Lay Miz, but I think I, I don't know. It isn't because of Tom Hooper because everything else he has made is bad that I've seen. But I still, for some reason, have a Tom spot, a soft spot. I dreamed a dream of time gone by. 
Kirk. Um, I haven't seen it, but I'm just glad Alicia Vikander won something that year. Fair. Uh, Payson? Yeah. Um, first off, for Cameron, I was doing it a little earlier, but I think it'd be nice if we all just uh, uh, entertain Cameron for a second. We're all going to give a nice little clo- like Tom Hooper close-up. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's how he shoots his movies. That's how he shoots his movies. <laughs> no, uh, this movie sucks. Like I, I, I saw it back in 2015. I didn't really think it was that great then. Um, like you said, Vikander is not that bad, but is Vikander's pretty okay. Obviously, she was better next Machina, and there were more deserving winners. But yeah, Redmayne is. This is one of the biggest like Oscar Beatty like performance i think i've ever seen of just like yo i just won an oscar i'm king shit now watch me do something even even bigger it's like yo what the fuck are you doing there's a scene where he's like tucking in his wing and it's like dude stop 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 hooper please please yeah this movie's not great i don't even really like the danish so like yeah well yeah that would have this is definitely i think maybe the prime example of the we want to prove that we weren't stupid by giving you an Oscar, so we're going to give you a second nomination so that we don't look bad. Just go back and watch this clip that they showed at this ceremony. It's awful. It's one of the worst Oscar clips I've ever seen. Because <laughs> there's not a good clip to pick from. Exactly. I envy the editor who had to try to find something from this, because there's nothing. There's nothing. They just uh, randomly yeah. picked a couple minutes and put it on yeah. Screen, you're like, yeah, I don't even care. I, I just, no, they probably just do what they always do, which is just pick the one where they're yelling. Yelling. <laughs> acting. I'm acting. I'm acting. Harry Styles uh, does a little bit about that. Oh, me? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So there was a director. He emerged in the late 90s. He was around for the 2000s. Kind of petered out. Uh, he had a pretty big fan base. He had a very recognizable name. I watched one of his movies last night. Guys, I don't think Brett Ratner is that good of a director. Like, <laughs> it, it, at least from what I've seen, I, I I I know he had a reputation, but like, guys, I'm 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 not sure he quite had the talent. Uh, I watched. Way to the go on a limb there, Payson. Yeah, yeah, I got yeah. Hot takes, hot takes tonight. Um, <laughs> the first rush hour is not great. I would even say it's bad. Uh, there are good things about it. Uh, for one, almost everything with Jackie Chan is legit pretty da- darn entertaining. Like, I think Jackie Chan is legit funny, at least in this movie. Um, and he's doing the best with what they have to work on. I think there's one great action scene towards the end where they're, like, in an art exhibit. And he's trying to do everything he can to make sure none of the precious art, like gets destroyed so Wally's fighting everyone and as one starts to tip he's like oh no 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 like that is funny because Jackie Chan's a a funny guy uh everything else specifically Chris Tucker is pretty dang racist uh I think the best line I can use to capture this movie is there's a scene where they're in front of the famous historic Chinese theater and Chris Tucker's character I believe his name is Carter tells Lee hey why don't you hang out around here you might see some of your people around here and it's like, whoa, okay, Mr. Ratner. Uh, yeah, I uh, I would not consider myself a, fi- uh, a part of the Rat Pack, as I know Brett Ratner's fans call themselves the Rat Pack. Um, 
Yeah, I just I've 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 heard these movies only get worse, and that scares me. Uh yeah. Uh hi. Uh someone who watched all three of them this year. Uh they get worse. <laughs> oh no. They, they get worse. Um Rush Hour Three has very little good about it. This one is the best one though, because it's the one that it, that relies the most on Jackie Chan, like and his ability oh. to do good stunts. Like that is like the best it's the one that gives the most most like faith and attention to Jackie Chan's stunt ability, which is like the main reason. Uh like I will say the best thing about the Rush Hour movies is after watching them, I was like Man, I need to give like a good Jackie Chan movie a chance. And then that's when, for those who don't know, I've been kind of going on a little bit of a Jackie Chan movie kick, and his actual like Chinese produced movies rule. They're very good. I highly recommend them. I watched the first police well, I've now watched the first two police stories and a lot of others, but police story in particular, if you're only gonna watch one, that's the one I would give a chance to. It's great. Um, but yeah, no, the first rush hour is Chris Tucker's just very annoying, and I don't know why he was a thing for a while. Because I think he's very bad. Uh, Cameron? Um, I have not seen this. I do want to get to more Jackie Chan, but after hearing this, this might not be high up on the list of what to watch next. Uh, the police stories will stick at the top. Uh, uh, Kirk? Uh, yeah, I saw this when it came out. And I was good, so I never watched this again. I didn't watch the other ones. Um, but yeah, Pays is right. What I do remember is that like 95% of the humor stemmed from the fact that Chris Tucker is black and Jackie Chan is Asian. And they kind of milk that for all it's worth. Um, but yeah, I mean, Jackie Chan did like a lot of bad American comedies in the 90s, you know, late 90s and 2000s. Um, but, you know, if that got people watching Jackie Chan, you know, and Asian cinema in general, it might have been worth it. That's fair. Well, uh, that does uh, conclude that portion of the show. Now we go over to our main topic, our meat and potatoes, as I say. It's actors turned directors, uh, represented by one movie. Uh, Payson, I will let you start us off first. So what is your first pick? All right. Here is someone in this community that we do not talk about enough. Uh, got his start in a, uh, in a certain Scorsese movie from the 70s. His, his acting star... Look at his face. Look at his face. He thought it was going to take him. No, uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm actually going to be taking uh, Greta Gerwig for my first pick. Yeah, uh, I think two technically are you representing Lady Bird. Lady Bird. Uh, genuinely, I think this is maybe I go back and forth. Maybe my favorite movie of the 2010s. It is genuinely one of the most relatable films I think ever, and I think Greta Gerwig. She made it super personal about her own life, but I think she captured what growing up, specifically not only just growing up in like a small town, but growing up with like a semi-challenged relationship with your mom and a mom that like wants the best for you, but is not always the best at expressing that, how that can feel. Um, again, I also really love Little Women. I think that's a great adaptation. Um, I've not seen Nights and Weekends. I know she co-directed that. But Lady Bird to me is just um, just one of the great coming of age films. I think it has so many like small moments, and I think that's something that Gerwig is so good at capturing. It's not like the big bombastic moments in these movies. It's just just quiet moments of just characters talking, and like when she does go for big moments, I think of like um, 
uh, Christine and her best and uh, her best friend with Beanie Feldstein just crying to crash into me. I just think is such a crazy scene. And um, yeah, I I think Greta Gerwig is a great actor turned director. Uh, yeah, no, this is a really good pick. Um, yeah, and I think it's one of those ones where, in my opinion, anyway, she's a better director than she is an actress. Because I think she, while she can be great as an actress, I also think that she can be bad. Um, I think she can be hit or miss. I think as a director so far, not including nights and weekends, as a director, she's two for two. Um, so good on her. I think she made two really good movies. I personally prefer Little Women uh, to Lady Bird. Lady Bird, that more, my, more of my issues with Lady Bird were at a script level than it was at a directorial level. Specifically, I think some stuff in the third act in regards to kind of the liar revealed plot, that never really worked for me. Uh, that being said, uh, I really liked her take on Little Women. Um, I, I think that is probably the best adaptation of Little Women I've seen. There's something, it, it feels weird to say this, it taps into that same kind of energy that like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid or Bonnie and Clyde do in the sense of you're telling a classic story and you're not doing anything super anachronistic, but there's just this kind of modern sheen to it that still doesn't feel like distracting or take you out of the time period, but it just kind of recontextualizes everything in a way that I think is very effective and really good as a director. And I'm, I'm really excited to see what she does with Barbie because I think that's going to be really interesting. And I liked the trailer or the teaser, so I'm excited. Um, Cameron, thoughts on Greta Gerwig? Yeah, I, I love Greta Gerwig. I had this as a backup pick. Uh, I almost picked it myself, but I'm like, if no one else picks it, you know, may maybe I will. Uh, she's great. Um, I love Lady Bird as well, and, and I love Little Women too. Um, but specifically Lady Bird, I think it just feels so natural. Um, the I think the writing and just the performances between all the characters just feel real. Like you feel like you're just in you're in the movie with them. You're just going through their lives. Um, and it just feels really authentic. I, I just love the way she was able to capture that, which it feels kind of different in Little Women, but she does a lot of really cool things with Little Women, uh, adapting it in a different way than it's been done before. It also makes that really impressive. And just the subtle things with Little Women, like the change in um, the color correction she does uh, between the different time periods simple things like that that i think she's a really smart director and i will watch anything she uh, makes i'm very uh, excited for barbie gonna be their opening weekend but yeah i love lady bird and a huge fan of greta gerwig as well great pick uh yeah and uh kirk yeah, I talk about Lady Bird a lot. That's one of my favorite movies of the 2010s. Um, I think it's just a great movie. Not just a great movie, but a great directorial debut. Uh, I think it's it's just a really, for, for a first-time uh, filmmaker, you know, first you know major feature, um, it's just really a mature movie, especially with the subject matter where, like Pace mentioned, it's kind of semi-autobiographical. Autobiographical. Uh, but she is still, um, there's like a lack of, 
arrogance to the character. You know, she's honest about the character and who the character is. There's no puffing that character up because, hey, this is me and I'm awesome. Like, the character is real. And not only that, but the other characters, you know, the supporting characters in the movie all are given time to breathe and time to, like, live their lives and do what they do. And they, I think every character in that movie is so well fleshed out, so relatable. Um, and I think it's just a really great, you know, debut. And then you get Little Women, where she is... Uh, you know, she's taking on a period piece, a much bigger film, and she showed she could handle it. Um, I enjoy the movie. I don't love it as much as everybody else does. I think it's re- really good. I think it's a really well, uh, uh, well-made movie, and um, I think that um, I like everybody else said. I can't wait to see what what happens next. I think I agree with you, uh, Boatman. I think she's a good actor, um, but I don't think she's ever done acting wise. It's like her her acting highs are nowhere near as high as her directing highs. And I'm 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 predicting that that's the direction she's going to go. She'll be much more of a director than an actress moving forward. Um, I I doubt she's going to act again unless like her husband asks her to yeah, again. And, yeah. Hey, come do my my weird '80s drug movie. Come <laughs> <laughs> an even worse wig. Yeah, but no, definitely. I mean, I think I think that's that's probably for the best because I mean, I like like I said, I love uh, Francis. I love her performance and a lot of stuff. Yeah, but I mean, she is just. I I think for for having just a couple movies under her belt, just what she's been able to accomplish so far, just to see what she does in the next 10, 15 years is pretty exciting. That is fair. Well, Kirk, we will go to you next. Uh, what is your first pick? Okay, um, I'm going to go with an actor who, before they started directing, I think was most famous for uh, their role in a sitcom. Um, I'm picking Rob Reiner and, um, I think I, all four of us, if we picked Rob Reiner, we'd probably pick a different movie and that's what's awesome. I'm going to go stand by me, my personal favorite. Um, but I think he just, he had that famous run in the eighties and early nineties, uh, where he was just putting out banger after banger. Um, like I said, stand by me is my favorite. Um, I just love, I love this movie. I think it's just such a great, um, you know, coming of age, uh, drama uh, where the, 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 the kids really um, just they feel like real kids um, but also more I don't know how to phrase it. it's very very well uh, great adaptation Stephen King and he did the other, he did misery as well which is a different different one but also um, you know another adaptation then he had uh, when Harry met Sally he had a few good men uh, so many great movies you know and um, I just think he is you know, the if you look back at the that time frame, there's nobody hitting as hard as he was, and I mean, he has a lot of great ones beyond that. But um, yeah, just for that run, I think he needs to be mentioned. No, it is one of the greatest runs of all time, and then one of the greatest like shooting yourself in the foot <laughs> moment ever. Like he had, like just to recap. He does like this. He does this is final tap, and then you know the sure thing. And it's like okay, we're off to an okay start. And then he goes, "Stand by me, the Princess Bride, when Harry met a few good men, or misery, a f- and then a few good men." And then he makes noise. <laughs> <laughs> giant bomb, both critically and commercially. Probably the most famous Siskel and Ebert review of all time, where Ebert says, I hated, 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 hated this movie. I just watched it for the first time, and I can tell you, it's terrible. <laughs> but that run of five is so freaking good. And I will say, he doesn't completely like drop off after North. Like, 
he does the American president as well, which is good, and like a few other middling things, but he never hits back to that just run of mega hit after mega hit. Like all all five of those are either four and a half or five star movies. And if you wanted to tell me they were all five star movies for you, I would not bat nine. Uh, because I think they're all great. Uh yeah, stand by me. I do really love it. I think what you said, Kirk, is a really good point. These kids talk like real kids. I think that's the thing is this dialogue is so good because like it is maybe the closest I, a movie has ever gotten to talking the way kids actually talk. Like in a way that still feels entertaining and is still good to listen to. But it just, the way they talk about different things just feels, it's that same type of like both being overly inquisitive and overly confident. That is just, I think, so accurate. And I just love like the different conversations of like, uh, is Pluto, if Go what is Goofy? If Pluto's a dog, you know, what is Goofy and all that? Um, but yeah, love this one. This is, in my opinion, probably his best movie. My favorite is probably The Princess Bride because I'm dating. Uh, Kirk, or not Kirk, Payson. Yeah, I, by me and Rob Reiner in general. No, I, I, I think this is a phenomenal pick. Um, yeah, Rob Reiner, um, that run is great. Um, I, I think Stand By Me is probably his best movie. My favorite, either Princess Bride or This Is Spinal Tap. Like, like I, 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 I know that Spinal Tap technically isn't part of the run, but like I kind of count it just because that, that movie, compared to a lot of 80s comedies, I think that one holds up so well if, if, if you were a fan of dry humor i think that movie is spectacular one like underrated joke i love is like the first scene where just reiner is just like talking like essentially doing like a preamble into like the band of spinal tap and the thing is is like he's like a documentarian who's like really uncomfortable with the camera so 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 there's a point where he's like trying to figure out like where to put his arms and you could tell like <laughs> just how uncomfortable he is but yeah like I, I, I love this is my own tab. I love misery. Like I think Kathy Bates, like that is one of the great and best actress winning performances of all time. But yeah, this movie just how it captures like the time period, I think is excellent. Uh John Cusack is really like really good in this movie. Um and yeah, I just think all four of those kids work really, really well together. Uh yeah, I I, I do want to quickly bring up a point before I go over to Cameron. Uh, is that when they were making this a Spinal Tap, or after they had made it, Rob Reiner apparently got a lot of people telling him, really good movie. Why would you make it about that terrible band? Like, no one ever... <laughs> <laughs> this uh, this is Spinal Tap, the tar of its time. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. No, that, that, uh, Cameron? Yeah, uh... I don't want to disappoint again, but I haven't seen this since I was really young as well. But I remember really liking it as a kid, even, you know, watching it then, uh, it's sticking with me. Uh, just, yeah, the interaction between the kids just seemed so well done, like thought to be so real as well, kind of like we were talking, everyone was talking about. Um, but I definitely want to revisit this one. I do love all of those uh, golden age rob reiner like when harry met sally is you know that's the standard for rom-coms for me and i feel like a lot of people 
you know, that's the bar you have to meet if you want to be a great rom-com. Uh, do something like that. But, um, you know, and Princess Bride, of course, is amazing. But I think out of, you know, all of the Golden Age Rob Reiner that uh, Oatman mentioned, Misery might be my favorite. That might just be my taste, but I think it's just an incredible uh, thriller. Um, and yeah, Kathy Bates has done so much great throughout the years, but that's what kind of people point to uh, for an example. So, yeah, great. Yeah, great. Well, stuff. now we go over to my pick. And you know, Payson, it's funny that you mentioned Rob Reiner, because uh, my first pick is somebody who is actually really good friends with Rob Reiner. Oh, who is this person? The way this person got famous was Rob Reiner's dad, Carl Reiner, was on The Tonight Show. And uh, Johnny Carson asked him, who is the funniest person you know? And Carl Reiner said, oh, it's my son's friend, Albert. Uh, and I am going with uh, Modern Romance. Uh, I, I could go, I think most people know my favorite Albert Brooks movie is Defending Your Life. And while that is a phenomenal movie and I love it, I actually think maybe his better work as a director is Modern Romance. Because this is such, like, a dark, intense, just, like, it's a very just raw movie, but not in a way that, I mean, it just feels, like, unpolished. It feels very intentionally raw. And there's something that's very real about it. It taps in, like, that same energy that, like, Uncut Gems or even, like, After Hours does. That there's just this insane kind of pulse just going through on is you know this main character just keeps making these decisions that you just watch and you can't look away from uh but yeah uh obviously i love almost all of albert brooks's movies i i i can't quite sanction looking for comedy in the muslim world uh but other than that i think all of his movies are excellent um the Muse is underrated. Obviously love Defending Your Life. Lost in America is uh, fantastic as well. Real Life is great. Love me some Albert Brooks, as everyone knows. Uh, Cameron, I'm going to put you on the spot. Have you seen an Albert Brooks movie? I have not, but... Um, Shame. Lost bad person. Yeah. yeah, Lost in America is one that I want to see. That one has actually been catching my eye for a while now. So I might start with that. But uh, then Modern Romance. Message me when you do, because I will yeah. be proud of you. <laughs> uh, Kirk? Uh, I haven't seen a ton of his directorial work, but I do love Defending Your Life. Um, we've talked about this before. I think I, when, when I was younger, when this first came out, um, it was on HBO all the time. And I think I watched it every time it aired. Uh, it's just such a great movie. Um, I should watch more of his stuff, because I like his... Even, you know... Pace jokes about his role in Taxi Driver, um, but like even in that small role, like he's hilarious. Like I'm just cracking up every time he's on screen, and I think his. It seems I'm sure this is accurate. Correct me if I'm wrong, but but I feel like his, you know, acting and you know, stand up or whatever that kind of comedy also would probably carry over to his uh, his directing stuff. And um, I really like his sense of humor, so I need to check more of it out. Uh, yes, that is a thousand percent accurate. Uh, Payson? Yeah, I've seen three of his movies, and I really like all three of his films. This Modern Romance is a, probably my favorite movie, just because I love movies about, like, about just terrible people. And, like, people, terrible people that don't realize how terrible they are, and just the romance in this movie is 
from the first second is such a toxic relationship, but it plays into how funny it is in like the best ways possible. And I think that's one of Albert Brooks's like talents as a filmmaker is just he he's able to find like the humanity in these like deeply flawed people. Um, in regards to looking for a uh, comedy in the Muslim world, uh, there are two times I have vandalized Wikipedia pages and added Caleb Boatman in there. And one of the times was to vandalize this movie. And for about a month, there was a segment of this movie I just wrote where Albert Brooks meets Caleb Boatman and they do cocaine together. It's no longer <laughs> there, so you can't see it anymore. But that is there. the other Wikipedia page I vandalized with Boatman is still there. And I'll send it to you guys after. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's fair. Uh, well, Cameron, we'll move over to you. What is your first pick? My first pick is from a from an actor that turned to be a director. He's made a lot of studio, uh, big studio projects, but my pick uh, is like a passion project of his, uh, a movie I really like. It's John Favreau uh, for Chef. Um, I I really like this movie. Um, I like I said I feel like it it feels like a passion project of his it feels like something that he just really enjoys making uh he he also stars in it as the lead character as well as uh, many of you know um but it's a love letter to comfort food and because of that it's a comfort movie I like all, a lot of the different characters I think Sofia Vergara is actually good in this um but um yeah I I, I like when they how they travel to all these different places, uh, try the different food, um, and just the I don't know it, it's kind of a simple story uh, of him finding a way to move his passion of food to a way he can control. But it's just such a nice watch. Um, I could probably put this on any time and just immediately feel happy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I, I really like Chef. This is and it's a really nice kind of meta look at John Favreau's career. I think it's really fascinating essentially seeing a director make a coded autobiographical movie about themselves, but using a different art form. But like looking at it, I think but the thing that makes it work though is even if you have no idea anything about John Favreau the person, Chef still works. I think that's the important thing is even if you have no idea about the MCU drama or anything like that, still works, still works. And yeah, I, I do really like chef. Uh, I think as a director overall, Favreau has some hits and misses, but this is, this is probably his best work. If you wanted to argue like the original Iron Man, that's a fair point, but yeah. Uh, pay some thoughts on John Favreau and chef. Yeah, I actually have not seen Chef, but I've seen a lot of John Favreau films I really like. Uh, uh, most people know this about me. Uh, Elf is my personal favorite Christmas movie of all time. I could watch that movie. I watch that movie every Christmas. I it's one of those movies I can almost quote like a good majority of that just from memory. Um, Zathura is a movie I have a lot of really nostalgic memories about. Of course, like, the first two Iron Man movies, specifically that first Iron Man movie, I think is uh, excellent and still, like, one of the better MCU movies. Like, the first Iron Man is still in my top ten, and, yeah, people argue which version of The Lion King they like more, and I think that should tell you how good of a director he is. 
Um, <laughs> I really, I yeah, really hope this person is gone. Uh, <laughs> um, uh oh, uh oh. Anyway, Kirk Davis. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I'm glad uh, Favreau got picked. I think he's deserved to be on the list. list I'm going to deploy my Phoenix Club shield. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, no, I, I like. I really like Chef. I think it's a great movie. Um, for me personally, you know, the way that um. Cameron's talking about Chef and his feelings sort the way he watches it. I feel that way about Made. Um, I really love Made. For me, that's the personal. Thing. I love Swingers. Um, I know he didn't. He wrote that. He didn't direct that. But I, you know, then he went and did Made with Vince Vaughn. Um, I really like that early stuff. Um, really fun movie. I can just watch anytime. Uh, I, he's he is one of those guys. I know Chef kind of addresses this, but he's one of those guys that got sucked into the studio system, and he made some great stuff. But I'd like to see that alternate reality where he stayed a little more independent. And, you know, we got to see more of his own original ideas and his, you know, his original visions, because I think he was that kind of, because if you talk, if you, like, because I, like I said, I I listened to the commentary on, like, Swingers and Made, and just listen to this guy, you know, when he was younger, talk about movies and talk about film and his love and his passion. Um, I think he would have made some really great, smaller, independent stuff. Um, God bless him. He made a billion dollars uh, doing what he did with Disney and, and you know, Marvel. Um, and, you know, like I said, he's good at it. I mean, his, you know, Iron Man is good. Um, I think, you know, a lot of what he's done with, with um, Star Wars and Disney Plus has been entertaining. Um, but I just wish there would be a, a little more of him that we would see. But still, definitely deserves to be on the list. That's fair. Well, with that, we will go back over to Payson for his second pick. Trying to think if I should go for a more mainstream one or whether I want to just do my weird one now. Although well, I'll do three picks. So yeah. So you know, I'll I'll do one that like probably should be on this list. It's probably the most famous actor turned director, uh, Clint Eastwood. Um, I'll 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 admit I have not seen everything Clint Eastwood has made, but I uh, Unforgiven is the movie I'm I'm going to choose to represent him. Uh, I think just the fact alone that he directed this movie uh, uh, earns him a spot on this list. I think this is one of the great, like, westerns of all time, which is interesting because it is, like, such a deconstruction of the genre. Um, I really like Million Dollar Baby and Mystic River and a lot of the other movies he did in the 2000s. Uh, I'm a defender of even some of the stuff he did in the 2010s. Like, I enjoy American Sniper. I enjoy Soli. Um, yeah, he's he's had some hits and misses there. The fifteen seventeen to Paris is not good. Um, I I really want to go back and watch his like seventies movies because like specifically like the outlaw Josie Wales I hear is great from like a lot of people. And yeah, I I just think Clint Eastwood is just such a renowned actor turned director. I I feel like he kind of had to be on this list. Space Cowboys, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh... The interesting thing for me about Clint Eastwood is, well, he's made some great movies, especially when you hear people, like, talk about his directing style. I have no idea how much credit to actually give Clint Eastwood. (laughs) So hands-off. Like, he is just, he doesn't really give, from what I understand, give actors a lot, like, and the crew a lot. It's just kind of like, he just kind of, he, I think he's even said he doesn't like to micromanage people and he just kind of let people do what they're doing. So I'm not really sure. I guess that takes some of the credit off of his bad movies, though. I think he is the one who said, hey, let's cast the real people for 15 
team to Paris, and then well, because that'll make it authentic. But also, we're gonna cast Jaleel White and Pam from The Office and a bunch of other like sitcom actors too. Um, but yeah, no, uh, I I I think he's made some great movies though. This is really good. Uh, uh, I, Mystic River is good. Like he's made some some really good movies. I really like the outline of Seawitz. I like that one quite a bit. Uh, but yeah. Uh, Kirk's thoughts on Unforgiven and Clint Eastwood in general? Um, I'm glad Payson picked this because I was trying to narrow down my picks, and this was one of them. And you know, he also picked the movie that I would went with. Um, so solid pick. Yeah, Eastwood is great. You know, I talked about we were talking about Creed earlier, and I mentioned that you know uh, Michael B. Jordan uh, benefited from working with Ryan Coogler uh, for so long, and I think the same could probably be said with Eastwood and Sergio Leone. Because if you watch, like, even High Plains Drifter, his first, I think his second movie, his first Western, um, he just knows what to do. Like, he knows how to film that movie. And Outlaw Josie Wells is great. And I think he's, a, I get he's he has he has a perfect track record, obviously. He does have some hits and misses. Um, but Unforgiven, I think, is his best movie. Uh, and this, it's, it's fantastic. And it just, he is the perfect person to tell the story, I think, both in front of and behind the camera. Um, but I think it just perfectly like encapsulates his career, um, especially as an actor, but also as a director. Um, but yeah, I think he's um, he's made some really fun movies. And again, like I've heard the same thing, you know, um, that Bowman was saying about you know his, his style. Um, but I mean, if you know you're still the guy, and you know you're making the decisions to put those people in that situation, and you're kind of you know flip you know flipping the first you know part of the Rube Goldberg machine. And letting it all go, but if you built the machine, then you know you get some credit for that. So, um, no, very solid pick. Eric Cameron, yeah, um, just Clint Eastwood in general. You know, he's just made so much over the years, acting and directing. It, it's such a big uh, catalog to go through. Um, and as we've been saying, um, yeah, I really enjoy Mystic River, um, and even from not too too long ago, Richard Jewell as well. I like that a lot. Um, so, yeah, he definitely has some bright spots that I enjoy. He just has made so much, I feel like, that um, there are a lot of hits and misses. But the hits do hit really well, um, and this is probably um, the go-to for a lot of people, Unforgiven. Um, it, I don't think there's much more I can add on to other than what Kirk and Payson have said. Um, but, yeah, it, it is extremely well done. Just everything comes together, and he's in his environment that he knows best He's making a Western, which he's had so much experience on the other side of the camera on. Oh, and he really delivers uh, fire, fires from uh, all cylinders uh, for this movie. I, I really enjoy it. I want to give it a rewatch soon. It's been a while. That's fair. Well, now we will go over to Kirk. Kirk, what's your second pick? Okay. Um, I've, I'm going to cheat here a little bit because the person with a pick, I think their career as actor and director runs kind of parallel. Um, it's a director who acts, uh, act, or actor who directs, director turned actor, maybe a little bit of a stretch. But I don't care because this person doesn't get talked about enough. And whenever I get a chance to, I want to talk about it. Uh, I'm going to go with Jim Cummings. And uh, my movie is going to be The Wolf of Snow Hollow. Um, I discovered Jim Hunt. Cummings last year, the year before, uh, relatively recently, and um, his style is something I've just never seen before, and 
something that I have a really hard time describing. Uh, his the comedy is it's reminiscent of what you see in like The Office, where it's that cringy comedy where the characters don't know what's happening is funny. Um, but you know when you watch that show, like the show's it on the joke. Um, with the Wolf of Snow Hollow and and with Thunder Road, both uh, the the comedy gets to the point where you don't know if you're still supposed to be laughing. Like there's still humor to be found, but you don't know what you're not sure what the movie wants you to do. And I mean that as a positive because you're you're kind of uncomfortable and you're laughing, but there's so much sincerity in what's happening. Um, that you're 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 touched by at the same time. So um, I just love, um, the, like I said, both these films. I watched his um, his third one the other day, uh, the beta test. Uh, it's not as good as these two, in my opinion. Uh, he only co-wrote in that and co-directed that one, so it's not fully his voice, and you can tell. Um, but these two movies are fantastic, uh, and if you haven't seen them, I highly recommend them both. And um, this is another guy who's only done three features so far, and I'm super excited to see what comes next. I have not seen a single one of his movies. I want to, though. Uh, Payson? Yeah, I'm essentially in the same boat as U-Boat. Um, I haven't seen really any of his movies, but I really, really want to. He just seems like a cool like do-it-yourself filmmaker. Uh, Cameron? Yeah, I haven't seen uh, any of his movies either, but this one, uh, The Wolf of Snow Hollow, I remember hearing a lot about it and seeing some things, so I definitely want to check it out soon. Um, maybe it would be a good Halloween pick. Maybe. So I might put that uh, in my October watches. He's also a great letterbox fellow. Yes. Mm-hmm. No, he was on Letterboxd. Nice. Fair enough. All right, well... Uh, it's my pick again, and I'm going with someone who I think we all love. I don't think his directorial work gets quite as much credit as it should, because I think most of his movies are delightful. I am going with uh, Mr. Danny DeVito. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm going with it, and for his, (laughs) I'm going with The War of the Roses. Um, which I think is his best movie. But all of his movies, it's they're very dark, but in a way that is still funny. But they're very, you know, he's kind of like a more, I don't quite know where to put him, but he's kind of like if Terry Gilliam was, a, I don't know if I'd say more comedic than Terry Gilliam. Maybe the American Terry Gilliam is maybe the way to call him. I'm he's, not... like Terry, he's, he's like Terry Gilliam if he was a little... <laughs> yeah. <it's... laughs> I mean... You know, but no, uh, it maybe the Americanized version of Terry Gilliam is maybe the, the... Even though Terry Gilliam, I think, is technically American now that I think of it. Um, yeah, he is. He was the only American Martin Python. But anyway, I digress. I really like his movie. I like his uh, first movie, which is a TV movie called The Ratings Game, which is really fascinating and very funny. Uh, Throw Mama from the Train is good, but then once he hits this one, this is where he really gets going with... He gets to go full into the dark mode and be so big and so mean-spirited, but in a way that feels so funny. I really like Death to Smoochie. I think Death to Smoochie is very funny, and I think it's so funny in how mean-spirited it is. 
Uh, I also, I really like Matilda too. I like love Matilda so much. But yeah, the War of the Roses, like the the premise of for people who haven't seen this, it's basically just Michael Douglas and Kathleen Turner are getting a divorce. They both want the house, and they are willing to do it whatever means necessary to get the other person to give up the house. And it escalates and escalates and escalates. And it's very dark and very funny. I like it a lot. And yeah, it's his it's his dark comedy magnum opus. Uh, but yeah, Payson, thoughts on Danny DeVito's uh, directing work in general and The War of the Roses? I just realized something really shameful. Minus like parts of Matilda, I don't think I've seen a Danny DeVito movie. And I should, I should, yeah, I should probably change that. I feel like this is where you should start. You would really like this. Uh, Kirk? Uh, yeah, I haven't seen War of the Roses, but I agree with you. I love Death to Smoochie. That's such a fun movie. It's so, Robin Williams is so great at that. Um, but yeah, and I think, Denny Vito, it's, it's a great pick, but he's one of those guys that's been behind the camera for a long time. And probably for the past 20, 25 years, he's been behind the camera more. He's been in front of it. But nobody really thinks of him that way. Um, but he's done great work. And, um, I mean, he was a producer on uh, Pulp Fiction. Um, so he's been, you know, behind the scenes to a lot of great stuff for a long time. And, yeah, um, everything I see of him, I at least enjoy. I think it's fun. And I think he's another guy who brings the energy he has in front of the camera to his work behind it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cameron? I've always loved Danny DeVito. Um, the only Danny DeVito I have seen, and I've seen it a lot, is Matilda. I I watched that movie so much growing up. Uh, I still love it. I've seen it recently. Uh, it's still great. Um, but I just love him as a personality, and I think it's really interesting to see what else he brings to the table um, from a directing point of view. Um, Death to Smoochie is definitely top uh, near the top of my list, but War of the Roses sounds great. So. Garth, I don't know if this was in reference to Danny DeVito or Jim Cummings. I can't speak to Jim Cummings, but That's Danny DeVito was in... I think, I think that was that went up when we were talking about Cummings, which may be oh, true. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Well, anyway, Kirk kind of defended that already. So. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Uh, so everyone's talking about DeVito? Yes. Okay. Cameron, over to you. All right, I think I'm just going to do it. Um, I had a couple of thoughts of what to pick here, but I think I'm just going to bring up Jordan Peele as a recent, very big uh, actor-turned-director. And and I'm just going to pick Nope. Um, It it was a toss-up, but I'm going to go with Nope because I just have fun talking about it, (laughs) and even if it's been talked about a lot. um, He's a really exciting uh, new director to come onto the scene just a couple of years ago. I, I think he has a really interesting, important point of view. And I think Nope is just awesome. Uh, I think it might be tied for my favorite along with Get Out. Um, it it kind of goes back and forth in my mind. Uh, but I I love Nope. I think the, the just his pure directing chops, uh, his the, what he does uh, from a visual perspective uh, w- with the sky shots uh, and everything. I wish I saw this in IMAX. I never saw this in IMAX, but just purely from like an artistic directorial point of view, 
I think it's mind blowing certain ways. There's certain sequences. I, I, I guess I won't get too deep into the spoilers and stuff that are just amazing. And he, he does a great job with his actors too. Kiki Palmer is fantastic. I don't know if she needed much help there. Uh, she just, she glows on the screen. She's so much charisma and Daniel Kaluuya is a great counter to her. They work so well together. He knows, you can tell he's in complete control. Um, so I, I'm excited to see anything that he does going forward. Fair. Uh, yeah, I I like Jordan Peele as a director. Um, I like I like Get Out and Nope a lot. I thought Us was good. Um, I I'm waiting for him to make that one that like really wows me. Uh, but overall, I think he's made some great movies. I think he's a really good director. Um, I, and I thought Nope was good. I want to give it a rewatch because it might be one of those ones that now that I kind of know what to expect, I'll like it more. Uh, but Nope was good. I, you know, I think when you start off your career with a movie that has so much to say that Get Out does, I think you kind of kneecap yourself a little bit when you just want to make movies that are just horror movies or just fun that don't have a whole lot to say because people kind of I think that really hurt us I want to give us a second chance because I think people went into us expecting a movie that had as much to say as Get Out did and it didn't and there's not anything wrong with that but I think I, I think you know that the expectations hurt him a lot but no uh, good, good pick uh, Payson yeah, no, I weirdly didn't even think about this, but it's a wonderful, wonderful pick. Yeah, I have loved all three of his movies. I am an Us Defender. Like, it's my least favorite of the three, but, like, I think it has a lot of really, really good elements. Specifically, I just think Lupita Nyong'o is just spectacular in that movie. Uh, yeah, I, I am still personally of the train that I do think Get Out is his best movie. I just think so many things in that script, just how it, like how just it will set up certain elements and then is able to pay them off, I think is just incredible. Nope. I really want to rewatch because even though I loved, I've been seeing so many people say like, this may be his best movie. And I didn't personally feel that when I first watched it. And I want to give it a rewatch because I just see that huge amount of love for that movie, which is excellent. Like, I think it's just cool that he made like a really fun, like sci-fi thriller and yeah, I'm super excited to see where he's going in his career. Like, I think his career is super exciting to look forward to. Kirk? Uh, yeah, I'm in your. Well, first of all, I think it's a good pick, and Nope would have been my movie as well, um, because this is my favorite movie. Is I think it's his his best and you know most complete movie. Um, I agree with you, Boatman, in that I kind of like I enjoy every if he if he makes movies at this level for the next. 30, 40 years. I'll go see all of them. It's fine. Um, but I am waiting for that one. Like, none of them have really, like, jumped out at me and like, well, this is amazing. Um, I am going to disagree with you a little bit. Um, I feel like Us wanted to say something and just was really bad at it. Um, and I feel like um, Get Out wore what it had to say on its sleeve. I think Nope does has, have a lot to say. I think it's just buried under a lot of layers. And I'm not saying that it's like I figured it all out. I know it all. I think I just think it's there and it's something to chip away at. Um, it did, you know, I did see it twice and it was it, it took the second viewing for it to really start to click with me. But there's a whole lot still there. Um, but yeah, I think just as far as like 
you know, having having something to say, and you know, the effects and the story and the and, and the, the scope of it, I think Nope is like the, the definitely the most ambitious movie he's made so far. But I, I still think it's his best, most entertaining. Um, but yeah, uh, solid pick, very solid pick. That's fair. Well, Payson, we go back over to you. Your third pick. Yeah, um, it's funny. Uh, Bo, you picked someone who got his start in uh, with Carl Reiner. I'm picking another person that got their start with Carl Reiner. I'm picking a certain actress who was in a film called Enter Laughing. Uh, then she was in, uh, let me check. She was in a movie called Love. Then she had an uncredited role in The Graduate. And then uh, she was directing her own film in 1971 with a new leaf. I am talking about the great, because there's no other way to describe her, the great Elaine May. Uh, I love Elaine May. I think all four of her movies are great to incredible. Uh, the Heartbreak Kid. Heartbreak Kid. Okay, I thought yeah. you only mentioned The New Leaf, so I didn't know if that's the one you were going with or not. But. No, yeah, I, I think all four of her movies are great. Uh, the Heartbreak Kid is my personal favorite. Uh, we were talking about with Modern Romance about like scumbag cinema. I think this is another really great example of scumbag cinema, of just a movie about like this couple that gets like uh, that becomes newlyweds. They're on their honeymoon, and on the honeymoon, the guy played by Charles Grodin gets bored with his wife and immediately just starts going after Sybil Shepherd. And the way how Elaine May is able to weld these characters and how like so um what's the word um she knows how awful these characters are and she really leans into it and the entire time the script is laughing at these characters i think really really helps uh, a new leaf i think walter Matthau and elaine may play off each other incredibly well elaine may has a role in a new leaf and she is so good as like this like ditzy but like ultra lovable wife of this of this guy who's trying to kill her in order to get the will uh, Mikey and Nikki weirdly may be her like most popular movie, and I, I don't say that we're like I, I think Mikey and Nikki is excellent. It's definitely has like that like Cassavetes feel, which makes sense because Cassavetes is in the movie of just these two guys just hanging out and just sort of like cracking jokes and like getting into different like circumstances. Ishtar is a movie I know people say like this is one of the worst movies of all time. Guys, I've seen Ishtar. I think it's really really funny. Like, I think Dustin Hoffman and Warren Beatty play off each other really, really well. And I just think the meta jokes it has about the music industry are really, really funny. But no, uh, The Heartbreak Kid is one of the best comedies of the decade. And I I watched it last year. It's become, like, one of my new favorite, like, anti-romantic comedies. And I just think Elaine May, we, we need to celebrate how great her filmography was, as small as it was. Yeah, uh, I, I have seen her first three films, have not watched Ishtar, but those first three are all very good. A New Leaf, I think she is so funny in it. Like, Matt is great too, but she is so funny in it. But yeah, Heartbreak Kid is just such a funny, dark movie. With Grodin was just such a talent. Charles Grodin is just such a talent. And yeah, Elaine May directs this really well. I think. You can tell she knew so many people like this guy. Like, there's no way you can write this script that feels this realistic and this good without being like, yeah, she must have known at least one, two, ten people that were exactly like Charles Grodin in this movie. 
because uh, he's just he's such an asshole. The scene where he first meets Civil Shepherd's dad, legitimately one of the funniest movie scenes, maybe ever. Like That's I was fair. dying watching that scene. That is very funny. That's a very funny scene. Yeah, no, uh, great pick. Fantastic pick. More people need to watch Lane May. Uh, Cameron. Including me. Uh, <laughs> I haven't seen any Elaine May. I think it's a really a cool pick, though. Um, uh, and I, I want to give it a shot. Or Think? Kid, especially. Yeah, uh, that'd be cool. Uh, Kirk? Um, yeah, I, Heartbreak Kid is actually the only one of hers I haven't seen. Um, I love... It's free to watch on YouTube. I will say that just for everyone at home. That one, Heartbreak Kid is free to watch on YouTube, so there's no other way to watch it. So Okay. Yeah, I definitely would check it out because I, I really like um, uh, New Leaf and Mikey and Dickie. Obviously, is kind of tailor made for me. Um, I don't, I don't like Ishtar, but I don't think the problems with it are her fault. I think there's that movie has other things going on that have nothing to do with. I think she does a fine job directing. I think there's just other problems. Um, but it's tragic that she only made four movies. Um, I know people say like Ishtar's what killed her, but even I mean there's a lot of years that she wasn't doing anything between Ishtar and everything else. Um, so it, it makes me sad she didn't do more. But um, yeah, she has at least, in my opinion, two really solid movies. She, I will say, she was doing some writing in between like Mikey and, true, yeah. and Ishtar. Like she wrote Heaven Can Wait. I think she did uncredited rewrites on a few things. Yeah, like, she punched up a lot of scripts. That's That was kind of her thing. Put, yeah. I think she had some writing on Tootsie, but I might be wrong about that. Mm. Uh, but anyway, I digress. Uh, Kirk, take us home. What's your last pick? Okay, uh, I'm going to go with somebody who is remembered mostly as a director, but actually has many, many, many more acting credits uh, than uh, directing and was uh, acting a lot before they started directing. Uh, one of my favorite directors, uh, we talked about Mikey and Nicky. I'm going to go with John Cassavetes. Um, Cassavetes started acting in the uh, early 50s. Um, you know, his first movie was Faces. I think it was, what, 58 or 59. Uh, my other uh, movie I'm going to go with is, um, I'm going to go with Killing of a Sacred, uh, uh, Killing of a Chinese Bookie. Uh, <laughs> the other Killing movie. Uh, Killing, of a, Killing of a Chinese Bookie is going to be my movie. Um, but yeah, no, I just... I started typing Killing of a Sacred <laughs> It's easy to mix up. Uh, he is... Um, I just love his style so much. Um, you know, he basically, he's kind of considered the grandfather of independent cinema. Um, really, most of his acting work was done to finance his his movies. That's that's why he acted, um, especially later in his career. And you could tell a lot of his, I've, I've watched, I just love him as a, as a person, whether he's director or acting. So I've watched a lot of his movies and a lot of movies, you can tell he's definitely just there to phone in for the paycheck so he can make his next film. Um, but yeah, just, he was an incredibly independent minded uh, director. And, you know, we were talking about um, Favreau. I think um, Favreau had a lot, uh, was very much inspired by Cassavetes. And if you watch Swingers and you watch Made, um, and then you go watch Husbands, you see where that where those movies came from. Um, but uh, yeah, I just loved his his work is so it's so strong and it's so unique. And like I said, he doesn't care. He, he there's a whole um, he did there's a whole like special he did about just how he doesn't care whether or not you watch his movies. He did not make movies for you. He made the movies that he wanted to make. He was true to himself. Um, he had a great like you know uh, like. Uh, troop that he carried with him you know he had um you know his wife um jenna rollins uh uh peter falk 
Um, he had and a couple other people he had, you know, who were kind of there with, you know, his, his regulars. Um, and they just did so much uh, great work together, Ben Gazzara. Uh, and uh, yeah, I just love what he did. I wish he was still here now. Um, because I think he would just be so great on social media. Um, you know, every, everybody gives uh, everybody gives uh, Scorsese a hard time about everything he says about Marvel. Um, John Cassavetes would make Scorsese look like one of the Russo brothers. Like he would be he would be shredding people on Twitter if he was still here today. Um, go back and watch some of his interviews; they're great. Um, but yeah, one of my favorite filmmakers. Um, Good actor. Um, he got nominated for uh, for supporting actor for Dirty Dozen. Um, he did do some really solid acting work, um, but his you know direction directed movies are legendary. Yeah, I would say this is probably my favorite of his of the four that I've seen of his. This is my favorite of those, um, and probably his best work as a director too. Uh, I think Ben Gazzara is specifically so good in this one. And uh, I, like this movie just has sleaze just dripping off of it. Yeah. It really does. A pace of you would really like this one. This would be your favorite of Casavetti's work. Like the rest, like while you can certainly still tell every Casavetti's movie, there's just a certain air to it that every Casavetti's movie has. This one has just a certain level of sleaze and griminess yeah. to it that the other ones just. Don't well. I guess they all the other ones have that grime to it and that seventies look to them. But like this, it's hard to describe. But you get what I'm saying, right? Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But like, uh, you know, Woman Under the Influence was very good. Uh, Husbands didn't quite work for me, uh, but Woman Under the Influence and Opening Night were both very good and very good performances from Gina Rowland. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Killing of a Chinese Bookie. Uh, great film, John Cassavetes, really unique director. Uh, Cameron, have you seen a John Cassavetes movie? I have not. Um, a Woman Under the Influence is one that I've been meaning to get to for a while, but uh, yeah, I've heard great things about that one, and uh, excited to see more of his. Because I feel like it's definitely flown under the radar for me. That's fair. Payson, uh, shamefully never have and i say shamefully because i feel like i would really vibe with a yeah. lot of cassavetti stuff it just seems up my alley uh kirk i have one question john cassavetti's nick cassavetti's <laughs> i don't know killer chinese bookie the notebook i don't know it's <laughs> it's <laughs> actually like... my, my sister's keeper like, <laughs> <laughs> isn't nick butter or jelly that Shia LaBeouf De Niro movie that's supposed to be coming out. Is that, happening? that was supposed to be happening at some point. That smelled know. like Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Anyway. Watch out. Uh, that concludes it for this part of the show. Uh, to recap, our picks were Greta Gerwig, Rob Reiner, Albert Brooks, John Favreau, Clint Eastwood, Jim Cummings, Danny DeVito, Jordan Peele, Elaine May, and John Cassavetes. But before we go, we've got to talk about the movie of the month, which this month is, of course, It Follows. Uh, I have not gotten a chance to talk about it yet. I will talk about it next week. But, uh, Payson, I'm going to let you go ahead and start us off. Yeah, this is a movie, uh, this is a rewatch for me, and I still really, really um, like this movie. Uh, I remember seeing this in high school, and it seemed like there were like a uh, we were when like I, I want to say this movie came out, out around like 2015 uh, wide release and 
it seemed like we were we were a little starved for like big horror movies and this one came out and a bunch of my friends were talking about it i had a i had a joke about this movie i'm not gonna say but um <laughs> yeah i i think um okay yeah i'm i'm, I'm not gonna okay, you I'll tell them after the call because i don't <laughs> okay yeah um, yeah tell you what can have you watch it on call or yes. that. I, I just think the threat of the monster in this movie just like it does not it, it it never goes above a walk and i think that's what makes this movie weirdly scarier is that there's never a scene where like the monster just starts running at the main character it's the fact that it is always walking and it, you sometimes it's just not there and then it does just show up and you're like well crap gotta keep moving and you don't think that would be as thrilling as it is but it weirdly is. Um, I think Micah Monroe is really, really great as the lead. I don't think any of these actors really went on to do much else except for her. But, like, she's an actress I really, really enjoy whenever she pops up. I think Watcher last year was really underrated. And, yeah, uh, the score by Disasterpiece, excellent score. Like, it's really reminiscent of, like, just a lot of, like, synth scores from the 80s. So, yeah, I, I still really, really enjoy this movie. Um... I think watching it again, I could definitely see, like, there's a bit of, like, plotty, like, I, 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 I think it does, like, meander a little bit towards, like, the middle, middle part of the movie, but I think it picks up towards the end, and I think it does have a really, really unique uh, final act. Uh, Kirk? Or, well, Payson, what would you give it? Four, uh, four, out, four out of five. Uh, Kirk? Uh, yeah, I, this is my second watch of this movie, and I really love it. Uh, I feel like if you know, it's a movie about a monster that chases you for having sex. And, you know, imagine like if, if they, this has just been like a Blumhouse movie and, you know, the cast that they would have had in the story, you know, just been like a bunch of like shallow, horny teenagers running around and like, you're just there to get it, see them get, get killed off. Um, but what I love about this movie is that the, 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 the horror isn't about sex. I think that's uh, uh, representative. I think the horror in this movie is growing up and, 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 and like that loss of innocence that comes from growing up. And I, you know, you said so much because the characters in the movies are kids and they're, they're very much, there's a lot of, even though they're teenagers and they're, they're growing up and they're about to become adults, there's still like something very childlike about all of them. And, you know, even like their final solution, what they tried to, to, to do to, to kill the monster uh, is just something that kids would come up with. And the whole movie, even though it deals with like some, you know, mature content has a real kids on bikes kind of feel to it. And I think it's just, you know, compounded with the out of time feeling that the movie has. Like, there's just like this vague general nostalgia for something. You know, they, they go to watch old movies and there's an organist at the at the theater. But then, you know, the one girl has like this high tech, like clamshell e-reader. So you really don't know where you're at in time. And I think that just adds, adds that dream call. And there's so many quiet moments where the kids are just sitting around and they're, you know, they're like sleeping together. You know, they're like, you know, resting heads in the backseat of the car. Or they're just like absentmindedly pulling up pieces of the grass yard. Just very things that remind you of childhood. And um, I just love that about this movie. I think that's something very unique. I think that's a, a horror that adults don't think about a lot because we've kind of put it behind us. Um, but I think that is very, a very terrifying thing, especially when you're at the point that these kids are in their lives where you're realizing, you know, you thought childhood would last forever, but it, it's not. And it's actually was very short and now it's gone. And now you've got to face reality and you have basically death stalking you, you know, 
over your shoulder for the rest of your life and you got to face that reality so um yeah great horror movie um and uh, one i will definitely rewatch. Uh, i gave it four stars uh cameron yeah i also really enjoyed this movie uh, i think it's it stays simple enough it stays in that range it doesn't over explain things uh as a good horror movie should not do most of the time and i think with that simple premise how uh the threat is looming all the time i think it keeps the suspense up the whole movie i think it's really effective um i it's just a great it keeps you on the edge of your seat as a good horror thriller should um and the direction from david robert mitchell is really good too um very solid um but i i just had a really great time with most of it just from that lingering threat that's just creeping towards you i I think it's just it's a great idea to kind of take out all the complexity that horror sometimes gets into these days Um, so i really enjoyed that about it and uh, the main cast of characters all you know the general um group of young people are great too as uh they've been saying uh, i michael monroe is really good but also keir gilchrist who he's mostly gone on to be famous for the show atypical on netflix he's very good in that i think but uh, he's great in this too as a good supporting character um who you know him and uh michael monroe's character have a lot going on with each other dynamically but yeah, I think it's just a very solid horror thriller. Uh, great suspense throughout. Um, and and I think the only thing that is a drawback for me is how it breaks down in the end. Not getting into any detail necessarily, but I, I think it doesn't really know how to end. So um, that's kind of a bit of a drawback for me, but overall, I had a great time watching it. That is fair. What would you give it? I would give it three and a half out of five, but it's almost a four. Like, it's a high three and a half. Fair enough. Well, that about wraps, up, wraps us up for the show tonight. Next week, we got meta movies. Week after that, it's Crime Gone Wrong. Week after that, it is Action Heroes. So be sure to tune in for those. Thank you to everyone for watching. I'm Caleb Lobel Boatman. Thank you to Payson, Kirk, and Cameron. We're out of here. In case I don't see you. Good afternoon, good evening, good evening.